Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. So we, we started a couple of weeks ago, Thanksgiving weekend, this series called Covenant and Kingdom. And the idea is that if you look through all of the pages of the Bible, you're going to see these two mega themes uh, driving through the pages. The covenant and kingdom. People have called it the DNA. If you're into like weaving uh, with a loom, people have also called it the warp and weft, like the, the vertical strands and then the horizontal where the, it keeps going through. And you get this tapestry through the pages of the Bible of covenant and kingdom. And everything is held together on these two mega themes. Covenant is all about relationship. That God pursues us, initiates a relationship with us. We don't have to fight for it. We don't have to go out and get it. God is the one who initiates a covenant relationship with us. And it's not just a stagnant relationship. It's a relationship where he's our father and he's also our king, right? We have a father and we have a king. He initiates a covenant relationship and then he calls us to be citizens in his kingdom. Covenant is about relationship, and kingdom is about responsibility. Those, those things hold hands all through the pages of the Bible, and those are meant to be married in us as we walk with God, that we know that we have a father and we know that we have a king. I'm going to poke at you today to figure out which one, which one or both maybe needs your attention this morning. Do you need to, do you need to focus in on that you have a father or do you need to spend a little bit more time that you have a king this morning? Both are vital. It's not that you would like disregard one or the other. Both are vital, but I think we can tend to uh, err on one side or the other. We started with Abram and Sarai, and then Abraham and Sarah, how God changed their name, how God gave them identity, and how God um, ripped an identity or ripped a covenant with them. Right? We talked about Genesis 15, how God says, Abram, I want you to go get animals and I want you to split them in half and this is covenant-cutting kind of language. I want you to walk through this bloody corridor, as they called it, between the parts of the animals. And he doesn't just have Abraham do it. God himself walks through. God himself says, I'm going to be bound by this covenant. And he gives something to Abraham and Sarah that says, I will be with you. I will be faithful. Jesus, Jesus, Beth said this morning that like we live in the new covenant now. And I might tweak it just a little bit to say we live in a new day now where Jesus has fulfilled the covenant. Jesus has fulfilled the covenant that God way back with Abraham uh, initiated. And we have the fulfillment in Jesus and now the gift of the spirit. One covenant in a new day now. Cool? Great. Okay? Jesus is the one who fulfills it. He spent himself. In a covenant relationship, you say, if you're ever in trouble, I will be there for you. And that's what Jesus did for us. In a covenant relationship, he sees us and he comes to our side. And then we looked last week at Joseph, kind of aggressive. Uh, we looked at, I don't know, 10, 10 chapters, 5, five 10 chapters through the, uh, the end of the book of Genesis at the story of Joseph and looking more into the, the kingdom relationship that he had with God. 
that he knew his own identity and he was able to live out of his identity and be true. He could live in obedience, which is being true to who God says you are, okay? Living in accordance with who God made you to be. That's, that's true obedience, coming out of your identity. And Joseph is able to understand his identity and live out of his identity and represent God wherever he goes. And you know who gets blessed because Joseph lives in accord with his identity? Everybody else. Everybody else gets blessed because of the way Joseph lived as a citizen in God's kingdom. These two mega themes. You have a father and you have a king. Today we're going to get a bit more aggressive. We're going to go from Exodus 1 through Exodus 20. Not going to read the whole passages, all that, okay? But we're going to take this uh, broad aerial uh, journey in the story of Moses to say, how is covenant and kingdom woven through these pages? So if you have a Bible and you want to just kind of keep moving your finger down through it, you can turn to Exodus 1. You can find the beginning of the story of Moses there. Exodus 1 actually starts with the end of Joseph's story, right? It says, uh, at, the, at the end of Exodus, or at the end of Genesis, Joseph dies. His life comes to an end, and he's buried with his fathers, uh, and he's taken care of. And then Exodus, which means the exit, right? Genesis, the beginning, and Exodus just means the exit. Some rescue is happening. The beginning of Exodus starts with forgetting. A new pharaoh comes to power. He forgets who Joseph was. He forgets the relationship and why Joseph's people, the Hebrews, were in Egypt and the blessing that they had and the relationship they had. He forgets the covenant that they had together, and he turns against. And he sees an economic uh, potential in the people, and so he makes them their slaves, and he forces them into labor. And he says, this could be good for Egypt. This, I don't really care how it is to the Hebrews. Genesis ends with Joseph. Exodus starts with Moses. And Moses is born in a, in a really turbulent time. So as much as Pharaoh will force labor on the Hebrews, they, they stay strong. They have God's blessing on their life. They keep uh, making babies. They keep uh, growing the community. And Pharaoh gets to a point where he says, I've got, to like, I've got to do something drastic. And so Pharaoh starts killing baby boys to start hacking away at the next generation to say, I want to, I want to cut away at their strength. And Moses is born in this time. And his sister takes him and he puts him in a bas- she puts him in a basket and he kind of floats down to the river, down the river, right into the palace area where Moses' daughter picks him up, names him Moses, which means like pulled from the water, right? This water theme in Moses' story is really awesome. I want you to pay attention to it. Beth read this passage of God coming to save, saying he pulled me out of the water. Many waters God has pulled me out of. Pay attention to water in Moses' story. It's really cool. So um, Moses grows up in Egypt, kind of like as a prince of Egypt. He grows up in Pharaoh's family. All of Pharaoh's resources are at his disposal. They don't know he's a Hebrew. They don't know that he's kind of uh, fallen through the cracks of disaster. He grows up there, and he's got all of the blessings that come with Egypt, all of the money, all of the resources, all of the education. 
And at some point, he has this awakening where he understands that he actually is, he's Hebrew, and he sees his people being beaten down. And something stirs in him, something, something uh, triggers in him, and he goes off. And he actually kills an Egyptian who's beating uh, his countrymen. And then the next day, he sees two Hebrews fighting, and he's like, guys, stop. And they're like, oh, hold on. If we don't stop, are you going to kill us? Like you did that guy yesterday? And he gets scared. He gets real scared, and he runs away. So Moses, Moses runs. He's about 40 years old. I don't know how, how old. Uh, I always grew up with him thinking, like, he might be 18, 20 or something. He's about 40 years old when he runs away into the desert. Spends the first 40 years there in Egypt. Spends the next 40 years in the desert. Finds, uh, finds a family who will take care of him, who will serve him. Ends up getting married. Ends up having a kid. And now he spends uh, 40 years uh, serving his father-in-law as a shepherd, tending to the flocks. And you think about the transition from prince to runaway. And all of the stuff that might be going through his mind that um, I think is identity stuff. You know, Moses, I think, is asking the question for these 40 years, who am I? I grew up for 40 years believing I was this. And then my eyes got open to something else. And now, I'm, now I don't know who I am. And I think for 40 years, he lives this reality. He goes from the palace to the desert. And having once owned everything, now he owns nothing. But it's here that God speaks to him. To my knowledge, there's no record of God speaking to Moses in his time in Egypt. And there's really not even any record of God speaking to Moses for a long time in the desert. But this is where God shows up. If you want to take application from this, we run from discomfort, right? The desert is a metaphor. Moses literally ran into a desert but it was mirroring something else that was going on in his life. He was in a desert place in his life, in a wilderness place in his life, and he's there for a long time. Don't run from the desert. If God has dropped you in a desert place, be ready to hear from him when he shows up. But don't you go and try and fill yourself. We have so many so many ways to fill ourselves that will just make us more empty. And we, we hate the discomfort, and so we, we, look to, we look to find comfort. God says, when you're in the desert place, I have your attention. When you're in the desert place, you get to see your dependency. You get to see that life isn't just going all right. And so there can be a gift in the wilderness that I want you to be able to see and I want you to be able to receive and embrace. Sometimes God takes stuff away not to injure you but to help you see how you need him. 
and God shows up. It's been 40 years. In the desert, he leads his sheep to a mountain, and God shows up in fire. And there's this bush that's burning but isn't burned up. It's just perpetually lit, right? And Moses is paying attention to all the little changes in the desert as shepherds would do. And he notices this bush and like, whoa, haven't seen that before. I'm going to go check it out. And as he gets there, God says, oh, stop. This, you're about to enter into a holy space. And I want you to act like it. Take off your shoes. Get ready for something that you have not experienced before. God shows up and he speaks to Moses out of the, out of the bush. And he uses covenant language. He says in uh, Exodus 3.6, he says, I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Now, he doesn't say, I am the God of your father, Pharaoh, right? Who is Abraham's, or who is Moses' father? He comes from a long lineage. He has, a, he has an identity that God has given him, and God speaks to that identity. What was Moses' response? He hides why do people hide when they're spoken to? They're afraid. Often they feel shame. If you go back to the Genesis creation account after the fall, like they'd been walking with God every day and now they, they rebel against him. He shows up and what do they do? They hide, right? Moses hides when he hears God's voice. I, my best guess is that he's full of shame still. He's living in shame. Forty years in Egypt produced a murder. When he was trying to do something good, and then he ran away, and he spent the last four years maybe saying, I don't know if I did what was good. I don't know who I am. I don't know what's going on. And God shows up, and Moses is like, ah, I can't take it. And God says, I know you. I know you. You have an identity with me. I know your name. You are mine. You're not Pharaoh's. You're mine. God says, I've heard the cry of my people, and I've come to deliver them. So this is covenant language, right? You make a covenant with someone that says, if you are in trouble, I will come for you. It took a little longer than we would have hoped for, 430 years. But God says, we're in this covenant together, and you're in trouble, and I'm coming for you. And I'm going to send you, Moses. This is where the covenant becomes the kingdom. God uses representatives to do his work. God uses representatives. Hey, Sarah, you're back. Hi. Welcome back. Sorry. Squirrel. God shifts a little bit from the covenant, and he adds the kingdom. You have a father and you have a king. He says, I'm the God of your father, and now I'm going to war with Pharaoh. And I, as a king, I'm going to war against the king who has held my people in oppression. And I'm coming to free them. And you're going to be my representative. You're going to be the kingdom bringer, the kingdom worker. You have an identity. You have a relationship with me. And now you have a responsibility. Go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And how does Moses respond? 
can we just hang here, kind of enjoying this right now? Like, I don't know that I'm your guy. I don't know that I have all the tools that are needed to go up against Pharaoh. Um, I'd, I'd like you to send somebody else. Can we just hang out? So here's something that happens with covenant. How you abuse the covenant is you expect the covenant to be all something that you receive. And you get to do nothing with. You just receive and receive and receive. And you have no responsibility to do anything with that. You know God as father, but not as king. Right? God shows up as father. And he says, now I, now I want you to add to that seeing me as king. And I want you to live with responsibility. And Moses tries to duck away from that. Have you ever done that? Do you know God as father and have been just kind of content to live there? To say, God is going to give me everything I need. True. That's not the whole story. Like some of you need to look at God as king. Some of you don't know God as father. And I don't want you to play king with God. Like I don't want you to see God as king before you know him as father. That might be a little bit of a stretch. Like, I might be going out on a branch there, but I think, I think what happens when you treat God as king without knowing him as father is you live a life of fear that he will strike you down when you don't do good. Right? When you don't obey, he will punish you. But with a father, with a good father, you get a different relationship. That he comes and he says, you're mine you have an identity. You're welcome. You are invited. Now live out of that. Represent the family. Represent the kingdom. Some of you need to know God as Father. All of you need to know God as Father. Some of you know him like that and haven't yet stood up. You're still hanging out at the bush like Moses. He says, I want you to do something. And you've been like, probably somebody else you're looking for. Step into that, what he gives you. Acknowledge God as both father and king. So eventually God gets Moses on the same page, and that's when the fireworks begin, right? Moses goes back. He's now got this rod that God turns into a snake. He shows up before Pharaoh. He says, let my people go. We want to go, and we want to serve God in the desert. In the desert, right? Not in a place of abundance to start with, but in the desert, we want to go and we want to worship. And Pharaoh says no. And then the ten plagues of Egypt. I don't know if you know this. The first time I learned this, it kind of blew my mind up. The ten plagues weren't just random meanness by God. The ten plagues were specific frontal attacks on the gods of Egypt. Every, every plague attacks one of the Egyptian gods. So it starts with uh, the plague of blood. And the Nile was uh, worshipped as a deity of life and fertility, and everything came out of that. And Moses, Moses says, the first attack, I'm going to make the Nile bleed. I'm going to take the life away from the Nile. And all, all of the fish like die, everything that's living in the Nile, it's a frontal attack on that God. And every successive plague, God st- takes the next step, no, you're not going to listen to me here. 
okay, I'm going to attack the next one. I'm not just doing it because I'm a God of violence, but I'm a God of the covenant. You're holding my covenant people, and I'm coming for them. Let them go. No, you're not going to like it. Every time uh, the Pharaoh seems to get to a place of, like, where he's going to relent, and then he changes his mind and says, nah, actually, we'll, we'll keep trying this. And bad news after bad news after bad news for Pharaoh. And God is breaking him. Until finally the last one, the tenth plague, is the death of the firstborn, right? Pharaoh was seen as, as under Ra, the sun god, like this, this ultimate personification of deity in Egypt. And so the son of God in Egypt was the son of Pharaoh. And God says, uh, you don't let my people go. I'm going to keep attacking until you can't, until you can't hold them any longer. And he talks with his people and he says, bad stuff is coming. I've reached the end and I, we've got to finish this. I need to set you free. And he says, what I want you to do is I want you to live in the covenant. I want you to spread blood on your doorway. Remember Genesis 15 when they walk through the, the corridor of blood, right? And I says, I want you to kill an animal and I want you to paint the door of your house with covenant language. And when the angel of death comes, that's coming tonight, when the angel of death comes, he will pass over your house because he'll see the sign of the covenant. And that's where they get Passover. When the angel of death literally just passed over them and went to the next house to check to see if they were in the covenant. And if they weren't in the covenant, their firstborn son died. And a wailing goes up in Egypt with all of the deaths that are happening. And uh, Pharaoh finally relents, at least temporarily. And God's people go free. And God is right there in the midst of them, and he's leading them. How is he leading them? pillar of cloud by day, right? And a uh, pillar of fire by night. It's kind of, this, it's kind of similar to what he did with uh, Abraham. When God walked through with that, the smoking fire pot and the flame, there's both the cloud or the, uh, the, the smoke and then the fire symbolizing God's presence going through and he's leading them. And it's like a king at the center of his army. The whole army surrounds the king and they're moving out. And this is the the baby steps of the kingdom being established. And they get to the Red Sea. And the water comes back into the story. Moses starts his story in water, and he's rescued out of the water. And water had this um, connotation with evil or chaos in the day. You look back at, like, Genesis 1-1 in the beginning, right? And, like, the spirit was hovering over the water. That was, a, that was a picture of chaos, and God is going to bring order to it as he creates everything from chaos to order, and now they're at the Red Sea, and it's this ominent, uh, ominous front in front of them, the evil trap uh, mystery, they can't go forward, and God says, I'm going to bring order. I'm actually going to order the water. I don't know how he does it, if he just blows, if he's like, move. Whatever he does, he creates dry land, the water split, and his covenant people walk through into safety. And I love it. I love it. Moses 
gets to walk. He's the man of the covenant who has now come in the authority of the kingdom. Right? God meets Moses at the bush and he sends him. And now Moses is able to, with his staff, like touch the water. God makes it split through him. Moses is carrying an authority that is not his own. It's the authority of the king, right? Covenant relationship, the identity that he has uh, found in it makes him obedient to do what God has said. And this leads to an authority from the king and a power from the king that he hadn't had before. In Exodus 19, they find them back at the same mountain, the same mountain that God met Moses at. They're there again. And they're working together, and God is speaking to them. And uh, God has a message for his people. In Exodus 19.4, God says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. To hear both the covenant and the kingdom language in there, you're my covenant people, and you will become a kingdom of priests. And now God gives the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. The Ten Commandments, which uh, the way that I best understand it is not just a long, exhaustive list of how to be perfect. It's God telling them, this is how I made you to live. I want you to, I want you to find your identity in me, and I want you to live out of your identity. I want you to see me. So he doesn't show up with the name Father in the Old Testament. This is the name of God that Jesus reveals. Because I want you to live in a covenant relationship with me. I want you to go all in with me. And then out of that, I want you to live as responsible citizens in my kingdom. And the Ten Commandments are all about covenant and kingdom. If you look at that, what is my relationship with God and what is my responsibility as a representative of God? How do I behave and how do I live? And it's not, it's not, how do I get God pleased with me? He already is. He's already given affection. He's already given relationship. How do I live in light of that relationship? How do I live true to my identity? And God spends a whole lot of time with Moses. When Moses comes down, the message says, uh, the people saw that it was taking forever. And what do they do? They make a golden calf, right? And they're, they're like, I have this need to worship. We're in the desert. I want to fill something. This is getting uncomfortable. I have a need to worship. And so they make a golden calf. And they... Uh, because they don't know who they are, it's very, very, very easy to disobey. You see that? So if you know your identity, you have a much better shot at obeying, at living true to it. Let's, can, we, can you put that? Actually, th- this will work. So when you know God as Father... When you know that your identity comes from him, you can live true to that in obedience. That changes the way we look at obedience. Instead of saying, 
Obedience is the thing that will inform my identity so that God will treat me as his child. It does not work backwards. God is my father. I have an identity that's given from him, and I can live out of that in obedience. Now I have a father and I have a king. When I recognize that the king is my father, that gives me an authority, right? When you recognize that the king of heaven is your father, you get to all of a sudden live in an authority that does not come from you, that does not come from you. It's given to you that you need to live out of. If you live out of your identity in obedience, that turns into power. That turns into power. If you try obedience as a way to get your identity, that will kill your power. That will take that from you. And you will constantly be seeking the affection of God that he's already given. But if you know your identity and you live true to it, you know that, you're, that the king is your dad, you have an authority out of obedience. You have a power that is just incredible. Moses can do things that he would never be able to do on his own. And so can you. If you put obedience out of order, it messes everything up. Do you know God as your father? Covenant and kingdom begins with a father relationship with God. It begins with him initiating. It begins with him saying, I know you. I have an identity for you that the world does not want you to know. The world cannot give, but I, I have it for you, and I want you to receive it. Do you know God as Father? We put all kinds of things in place of God. So I'll tell you uh, can, just a little bit of vulnerability. Okay, not too much. One of the things that I put in place of the Father is being a good pastor. That's a temptation for me. And if I put good pastor up on top as an identity-forming piece, what does, that, what does that do in my life? That makes me fearful. That makes me say, if I'm ever not a good pastor, or if somebody's displeased with me, then... That takes a shot at my identity. It's way, way, way better when I don't give you that power, right? When I don't give people that power. When I give the Father that power. If I build my identity as a pastor, I'm out of place already. I'm missing the mark. If I build my identity as a child of God, I can't go wrong. And then I can say, I screw up all the time as a pastor. It doesn't affect my identity. And I do lots of good stuff as a pastor, too. I'm not just going to, like, poop on myself, right? But my identity doesn't revolve around that. What do you put in place of the Father for your identity? We all do it. We all have stuff that sneaks in there to say, this is what makes me who I am. This is what I'm proud of. If you want to take a crack at me, crack at this, because that's really where I might, my identity is. You could be a, a good dad or a good mom or a good employee or a good friend or somebody who's achieved all these things. All of those things can be really, really good, but not as an identity-forming piece. 
you put anything in place of the Father, it will steal life. It will make you fearful. You put the Father up there, and the Father who's the King up there, that emboldens you, that strengthens you, and you can live out of that. Do you know God as Father? And do you know God as King? As a child of the King, as a child of the King, do you know the authority you have? Like, people who get excited about the news are excited that, like, some prince is now engaged again. And that's really exciting. And people pay attention to that. And if they have a kid, that kid's going to grow up in power, going to have an authority. Like, okay, that's just a picture of you and me as a child of the king of heaven. Do you know the authority that you have? And do you know the power that can flow from that as you live in obedience to who God made you, your identity. We're going to keep going in the Covenant Kingdom series. Today, if you're in the desert, embrace it. Don't try to run from it. Embrace it because I think God often speaks in the desert. He speaks when we're in the place of emptiness. I want you to think about what forms your identity. I want you to think about what you have at the top of that triangle that, that, um, that helps you understand who you are. And maybe it's time to take that off, that place, and put the Father there. You have an opportunity, if you haven't before, this morning, to become a child of God. Like his invitation is always extended. And if you don't know God as Father, and you want that, come and talk to somebody. Like, skip communion. Don't bother with communion today. Go back here and talk to somebody and pray with somebody and figure out what's going on. If you've got questions, if you just want to get prayed for, if you like, I want God as my Father. Talk to somebody about that. And if you need to give God more permission in your life as king to push you away from the bush, to go out on mission, to do something as his representative, do that. Jesus came to fulfill the covenant. The baby in the manger leads to a savior on the cross, leads to a king that demolishes even death itself. We get to live in that. We celebrate communion. We celebrate Jesus who came to fulfill the covenant. Saw us in need and said, I will do anything, anything for you. We get to celebrate that. We have a covenant God who loves us and came for us. Let's pray. Father, I really do think this changes everything. I really do think that when we see you as both Father and King, everything changes. When we see ourselves as children of the King, that you are both our Father and our King, we change. We see ourselves differently in a new light, and it's closer 
to how you see us. God, I thank you that you don't leave us on our own. I thank you that you pull us out of the water. I thank you that you divide the water when we come to it. That you are constantly, consistently protecting us and fighting for us. And I pray that as we grow in our understanding of our identity in you, that we would live out of that, that we would recognize the authority and power that come as children of the Most High God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.